I'm learning. I'm learning about the Bridge Church. Uh, I, I told this story earlier. I have learned that the office door locks behind you, when, even when you unlock it. Ask me how I found that out. <laughs> Came in here last night to drop off some boxes, and I opened the outside door. Okay, I got that one of my key ring, a 20 rings that they gave me, and said, here, figure these out. Turned off the alarm, opened the office door, set down the first box, set down my phone, set down my keys, and went out for the next box. When it dawns on me, I don't have my, my keys uh, to, to get back in. I don't know how to get back to my house. <laughs> don't want to leave the door. And I, and I don't have a phone to call anybody with. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm going to have to sleep here. And just... <laughs> so the, the spirit descended upon me and gave me a brilliant idea to pull my car up literally as close to the building as it could. It caught the Bluetooth. Daniel? <laughs> so... <laughs> So we're starting auspiciously today. I do want to thank all of you who have helped us with uh, the move, with the, the dinners, uh, Stevie, Mark, Barb, who've, who've reached out uh, and, and blessed us with food. Those of you who've connected with, with Ruth and I on social media, if you're from Idaho, I've been taking your requests, so I don't know who I've been accepting friend requests from, but, but I figured you're from here. So connect with me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, OnlyFans. I'm just saying if you're paying attention. <laughs> if, you've, if you're on social media, go ahead, uh, check in here and, and pull up our stream and, and share that and, and bless other people with, with what's going on here. I want to share with you a passage in Genesis chapter 8. And I want you to go ahead and just leave your Bibles open because I'm going to be returning to it. But I want to share with you a passage that speaks of transition. And what God is after and what God is about during these seasons. So look with me at Genesis 8, 15, if you will. The Bible says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves along the earth or moves on the earth came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we humble ourselves before your word. We know that it is your word that pierces and penetrates deeply. We know that it is your spirit that instructs and shapes us. And Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would have your way in this place completely, totally and absolutely, Father, in every vessel and every heart. Lord, you have spoken purpose over every life. We ask in the name of Jesus that we would, we would discover what the calling of Christ on us is and what you are doing in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a, there's a danger in over-familiarity. Uh, obviously, most of us know the story of Noah and the ark. But in Matthew 24, which is the most developed teaching of the end times in the Gospels, Jesus said that this story relates to eschatology, meaning his return and the study of the end times. So in order to understand its application, we need to understand its setting. 
all Old Testament stories have a New Testament application. That's something we need to understand when we're studying Scripture, is everything written in the Old Testament is given to help us understand the greater covenant that we are under. So the setting here is threefold. Number one, we see the judgment, obviously, of God's sin. We have forgotten that in this generation, but God is a holy God. God hates sin. Just as if you had a, had a family member that, that became a drug addict, how would you feel about drugs? You would hate that sin, especially if that person died, that child died, or that brother or sister died. You would hate that sin. Well, sin is what separated us from our Heavenly Father. God cannot help but hate it. And so God is judging sin, and we see that, and that's kind of the surface level of this story, the surface level dynamic. Uh, secondly, we see the manner in which his people experienced judgment, which was very different from the way the world around them experienced it. And finally, we see what his people did in response to and on the other side of the activity of God. And what I glean from this is that seasons of transition are catalysts either of destruction or of transformation. I have seen churches go through t changes like this and seasons like this. We're looking out at the landscape of the church. So many, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of churches closed down in the last few years, not just because of COVID, but because of a change in the culture. Just about uh, less than a generation ago, 90% of the country identified as religious in some way. That is down to about 67%, just that fast. So we're seeing churches empty out. We're seeing, we just went through a pandemic. Churches, some churches, many churches never reopened. And so seasons of transition will either be catalysts on a personal level and also on a corporate level as a church of either destruction or of transformation. Now, how many know that there is knowledge of God that can only be gleaned through trials and through difficulties? Amen. How many also know that Jesus will put you through those without asking your consent? I think of Jesus walking uh, on, on the waves, but he did so after having allowed the disciples to fight that storm for hours. He, he allowed them to go through that storm. He allowed them to exert themselves. He allowed them to exhaust themselves. I think of the Hebrew young men in the fire, but one like the Son of God was with them, and yet they were still in the fire. In like manner, none of us would have prayed for the things that have gone on these past few years. None of us would have anticipated the tsunami that hit the local church, thousands of which, like I said, will never reopen. So no, you may not be able to avoid the storm, but the issue is whether we know the Lord, whether we know Jesus better on the other side of it. And that's really what I would like to talk with you about today. We're, we're all looking at a changed landscape. There's, there's no way, I mean, I had people when we were here for our visit say, well, what changes are you going to make? Well, of course, there's going to be some changes. I, I can't help that. I am who I am. Pastor Jay is who he was. Pastor Jay said it to the church that there would be people that left with him. There would be people who leave during the transition. And then there would be people who just decide, I don't like the new guy, and take off. That, that's normal. And I said that to my previous church when I left. That's, a, that's what happens during transition. But wise people, wise men and women of God look at these seasons and say, Okay, God, you are still sovereign over them. And you are still instructing your people through them. And what is it you're trying to say to me? I remember I was pastoring a church of about 400 in Connecticut. And I, I, on the last Sunday I was there, I said, I don't know who the new pastor is, but I know he won't just be like me because if God wanted somebody just like me in the pulpit, he would have left me in the pulpit. I said, I do know two things about him. He'll probably be nicer and he'll probably be taller. <laughs> and he is the most super relational guy and he's about 6'4". 
And the funny thing is, he's from this area. I think he's from originally Montana or something. And he, he's, he's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a New Englander. But he loves it there because he's in the assignment of God. He's in the assignment of God. And, and so here God takes this East Coaster and throws him into the bridge church. But you know what? God knows what he's doing. God is still on his throne. And what he wants to know from us is will we learn the lesson of transition? If, you, if you're familiar with the story, you know that God gave Noah the blueprint from the ark. But what he didn't do was to build the ark. Noah had to build the ark. Meaning the design is divine, but the activity is human. And some of us, we really need to get beyond the idea that all God does is ask us to kind of show up to church and endure and wait for Jesus to return. Keep doing church stuff until he comes. Noah invested nearly 13% of his life. Think about that. Just in building that ark. And think about this. He paid for the construction of the ark out of his own resources. Likewise, you and I need to understand we need to be invested, hello, in that which is going to save us. We cannot be spectators to it. Everybody who was a spectator to the work of God ended up in the flood. Only the people who were active about the business of God were the ones who found deliverance in the ark. I know there are people in the church we struggle with giving. We struggle with showing up for church. We struggle to serving according to our giftedness because we really haven't yet absorbed the truth that God requires us to be invested in that which will save us. God didn't just build the boat and say, okay, Noah, get in. That's the mentality of a lot of this generation is that the church is just sort of there and we kind of just need to hop on board. Perhaps never before in the church's history has God required our investment. He's calling us to reach a generation before Jesus returns. How many know the world is getting darker? Right? We've been saying it, but now even the world admits it. Nobody is, is saying, you could, you could talk to the most pagan person on the street and say, do you think that the world is getting better, more moral, more kind, more loving? No. We see what's going on around. And there's a fear. And so the first stage of transformation is that we need to build the boat. We need to build the boat. This speaks of the act of investment. It indicates our response to what God has revealed to us. Let me share something with you. You might not hear this from people trying to get into your wallet, but it's 100% biblical. Faith must originate with God. Now, a lot of times we hope for stuff, and that's good. Paul said there's three that remain, faith, hope, and love. Hope's a good thing. But faith has to originate with God. If you're hurt, you break your arm, and I say, hey, man, don't worry, I'm going to come over, I'm going to cut your lawn, Right? And, and I get delayed for a few days and your neighbor's like, hey, your lawn's getting a little long. Uh, you know, he might want to do something about that. And you say, hey, you know what? Pastor Dave said he was going to come over and cut it and I can trust him. Right? That's faith. You're believing. It originated with me and you're believing in that and you're acting according to it. Now, if you just decide, man, I'm tired. I'm just going to believe that Pastor Dave's going to cut my lawn. Pastor Dave ain't coming to cut your lawn. <laughs> and a lot of times, I, I told this story in the early service. It, this is true. I had a woman come into my church, and she was, she was married. She was having an affair with a, with a married man. And they were believing that God was going to kill their spouses so they could be together. Sin makes you stupid. It really does. But that's not faith. Jesus said, I do nothing. The Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, says, I do nothing but what the Father is doing. And Jesus wants us so tuned into him that we see. You ever read the passage in the book? It said that Paul saying, seeing somebody had the faith to be saved. How do you see somebody has the faith to be or to be healed? 
How do you see that? Because you're so tuned in with God, you see through his eyes. And that's where God is calling his people, not to be spectators, but to be so connected. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, he said, you will do even greater works because the spirit will come. Now, the, the disciples, they were all just depressed because Jesus was leaving. But Jesus said, this is going to be for your benefit because I'm going to do great things through you. The focus isn't on what Noah built or even why he built. But the focus is in his response to the revealed word of God. When you go to, Abra, uh, to, to Hebrews 11, which is called the Heroes Hall of Fame, by faith, Noah, speak of this story. Did Noah just decide, you know what? I bet in 120 years it's going to rain. God spoke. He responded. Abraham didn't just decide, you know what? I think I'm going to move to another place. Or I think I'm going to just sacrifice my son. God spoke. We respond. That's the pattern of faith. God is, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that what proceeds, not past tense, proceeds, because God is still speaking. Right now, there are dozens of radio waves that are traveling through this place, traveling through your body, but you don't hear them because you're not tuned into them. We need to tune into what God is saying because he is still speaking. Relationship with God is predicated on the idea that he will speak and so we must respond. It's based on revelation. So I don't beat up the church. I love the church. I love the church. But I'm going to be honest too. So much of what I see going on in the church today is based not on revelation but just admiration. We're just admiring Jesus. We're like a big Jesus fan club. In a, in a lot of places, that's what's going on. We're just we're praising him for all he's done. But God has so much more for us. He saved us to transform us. Here, here's an illustration I use. Imagine if you knew that the world was going to be completely destroyed in five years. But somebody had figured out how to terraform Mars and to transform your body to be able to live on that planet. Now, as you went through that process, guess what would happen? You would feel less and less at home in this world. You'd be being changed for the world to come. That's exactly what's happening. God said he is giving us a new heavens and a new earth and we'll dwell with him forever. So we first have to build the boat, but then we have to get in the boat. And that speaks to the act of yieldedness. Noah's calling was to rescue mankind, more specifically his family. Ours is as well. It's not enough to just be familiar with the Ark of Salvation. It's not enough to just know about the boat. Look, I don't know y'all. I, I, you don't know me. But here's one thing I can promise you. Either in this place or watching online are people that are religious, but they have never surrendered to Jesus Christ. They have never given their lives to Jesus. And so it's not enough to just know some folk on the boat. Right? It's not enough to just know about the boat. A lot of people knew about the boat. You have to be in the boat. Jesus said in John 10, 1, he says, I am the door. And that anyone who tries to come in any other way was a thief and a robber. Now, what's amazing to me is how people who don't even know Jesus, people who are completely atheist, agnostic, pagan, will still say, but I see Jesus as this great teacher. And I said, uh, talking to a couple last night, I said, imagine that you hit your wife right now. I wasn't suggesting. And I just said, imagine. And then I said to you, I forgive you for that. Imagine how arrogant that would seem. But that's what Jesus did. 
Jesus was forgiving sins that had nothing. And the rabbis are like, you can't, for, God can forgive sins. If somebody offends you, of course you can forgive sins. But you can't forgive somebody else's sins. When you go back and look at the teachings of Jesus with fresh eyes, this seems insane. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Imagine if I stood up here my first Sunday. I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, y'all laughing already. But nobody laughed at Jesus. There was something about his words. The Bible says the crowds were amazed because they had never heard. It was like he had just left heaven five minutes before. He said he taught with authority. See, being saved doesn't mean that we won't go through difficulties. Being saved doesn't mean we won't go through the storm. It means that we go through the storm inside of God's protective providence. I know we look at this culture and we're worried. We're worried about all the things we're seeing. I've got a daughter in high school. And we're worried about all the things we're seeing. The state I just left just went to no bail completely in January. We're seeing all these changes that are happening in our culture so fast. It's what I call testing the waters with both feet. Right? If you want to find out if the swimming pool is cold, you do it with one feet. But if you test the water with both feet, you're wet. You're immersed in it. And that's what we're doing as a culture. We're not waiting to see, does this work? Does this make sense? Is anybody hurt by it? We're just saying, this is the way, and we're all rushing headlong, and we're fearful of it. Guys, I have a word for you. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. We are inside the ark of God's protective providence. The storm will rage. Jesus said the storm would come against the unrighteous and the righteous, the wise and the foolish. It will hit. But if we hear his words and what? Apply them. We will be like the wise who dug down deep. I, I lived in New England. If you wanted to find granite, you just dug about six inches. But in the Middle East, my, and my dad lived in Jordan, so, so you know, a lot of kids that, are, that have you know, kind of divorced parents, they have to go across town to go see their dad. I had to get on a, fl a flight from uh, Miami to New York to Zurich, Switzerland, to Amman, Jordan to see my dad. And, and if you're in a Middle Eastern culture, let me tell you what, there is not bedrock that's right there. You have to dig down deep. It requires work. I don't know where we got the idea that our walk with Jesus would not be difficult. It would not require any labor. Paul said, for this, I labor and I strive. And that's what God calls us to, but he promises us that as you do that, as you see all these things happening, I will be with you. In the New Testament, Paul's entire theology is based around two words, in Christ. In Christ. Study his writings, study the epistles of Paul and see how often he uses those words, in Christ. Not under Christ, which would see, speak of sovereignty, not with, with Christ, which would speak of fellowship, but in Christ. And when you study the three arcs of the Old Testament, Noah's ark, the ark that Moses was placed in to pr protect him when he was a baby, and the ark of the covenant, each was designed to preserve that which was inside the ark. Now the first two arcs were made of wood and they were sealed with pitch. The third arc was made of wood and covered with gold. The ark of our salvation is also made of wood, the cross, and sealed, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit. The idea of getting into the boat is accepting God's providence and beginning to walk in obedience to his revelation. So the call of Christ isn't about just accomplishing a task. It's about walking in the process of your own personal transformation. Now, we used to do a youth retreat in uh, Niagara Falls in that area. And off to one of the side streets, 
you see there's this, I don't know, it's like a mannequin or something, or two mannequins, and there's one guy pushing another guy in a wheelchair over a tightrope. And it, it's, it's based on a true story. Years ago, when they first, the Niagara Falls first became a tourist area, there was a man who would string a tightrope across the falls. Matter of tried to do that now. They just throw you in jail. But he would string a tightrope across the falls, and his assistant would go in the wheelchair, and he would actually walk across Niagara Falls, pushing somebody in a wheelchair. And he would do this once or twice, and of course the crowd was just eating it up. Yeah, that's awesome. And he'd come back and he'd say, now who thinks I can do that again? Well, they all want to see a show. Is there? We do. Sir, then get in. See, that's faith. Faith isn't standing back as a spectator and saying, yeah, 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 amuse me. Faith, if you really believed that this guy would do it and you were in no danger, you'd get in. But sometimes we have to have our faith tested. And so what we need to do is recognize that God calls us to get into his plan, get into, get into the boat and yield to him. And the third, the third dynamic here is that we need to stay in the boat, meaning we fulfill and complete the process that 2 Peter 1.10 speaks of, make your calling and election sure. You young people, you have a calling on your life. Everyone in this place has a calling. But what Peter is saying is that that calling preceded because election refers to your salvation. That is the process through which we are saved. The calling precedes that. Wouldn't it make more sense if it says make your, make your election and your calling sure, right? Because in, in our linear time, we come to Christ, we get saved, and then we say, okay, God, what's the calling? What Peter is saying is that call, that purpose for which you were created existed before time. And God created you to accomplish that. Now, I know that what we see in this culture is a distortion of that. And we see this idea that if you don't have this grandiose thing that you're doing, you're not really walking. And we use the word destiny too much. I, I, I hesitate to, to talk about that. But I don't shrink back from saying that you're not an accident. And there is purpose for your life. I had a homeless guy uh, started coming to our church. And after a Wednesday service, he came down to the altar. He said, Pastor, can I talk to you? I said, sure. And he said, you know, I was listening to what you said. I don't think I can do that. So why? He said, I think I've wasted my life. I, I don't think there's, there's really much hope for me. And I said, let me tell you something. What is stopping you right now from just going back to the people you're associated with and sharing Christ with them? Because God may do more through you in this season of your life than he does through a lot of people who never grasp. See, for that moment... He was realizing that there was a reason for his existence. And he was realizing that he was grieving the spirit by not walking in it. Well, you don't come to that conclusion by yourself. God has to reveal that to you. See, a lot of times what we do is we get in all kinds of mess because we haven't learned to listen to the Lord and to wait upon him. We assume rather than hear. We deduce based on our own observation. We panic into bad decisions. I, I don't want you to miss this because four times Noah sends out birds to see if the earth is dried up, a raven and then a dove three times. Even after Noah determines that the ark is dry, he doesn't leave the ark. I don't know if you caught that in the story. But if you read Genesis 8, 10 through 13, which is just before we read, Noah waits nearly another two full months, a month and 27 days, because he waited for the direction and instruction of God. In verse 13... The Bible said Noah saw. In verse 15, it says God said. You see the difference? 
Noah didn't move according to his observation. He moved according to the direction of the Lord. I believe with every fiber of his being, Noah wanted to get off that ship and stand again on dry ground. I mean, he had just been a year with all that stink, right? All the manure, all the smell. Man, there's no showers. You can't just go. I'm going to my room and playing on my iPad. There's none of that. Some of y'all can't handle your family for three or four hours on Thanksgiving. Twelve months in this little, this little contained area. So I believe that, God, that, that Noah wanted to get off that ship and stand again on dry ground. But what he didn't do was confuse his desires with the direction of the Lord. You know how you can tell when you're doing that? When somebody calls you on it and you get mad. Because you know intellectually there's nothing about that statement that's not true. But if it begins to restrict what you can do, our flesh just naturally rebels against it. But there came a time when it was time to open that door. Verse 15, then God said... To Noah, come out of the ark. That was the time. And what that speaks of is moving forward. It speaks of the activity of the delivered. The deliverance of God has occurred and they're moving forward. It doesn't represent leaving salvation. It doesn't mean leaving the church. You go back and you see the time where Jesus is baptized and the Spirit lights upon him and the Father speaks. And the Bible says that Jesus filled with the Spirit was led into the wilderness. So here he gets filled with the Spirit. He's the Son of God. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil. And the very next activity of the Son of God, we see him in the synagogue. If anybody could say, hey, I don't need to go to church. It was the Spirit-filled Son of God. But the next thing we see is he is connected. So this isn't talking about moving past the church, but it indicates that once the purpose of the ark has been accomplished, once that season uh, and the, the purpose for it had been fulfilled, we need to move forward in doing that which God delivered us to do. If we read the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, it begins by, by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, the season of you being instructed was necessary, but there comes a point of time when you need to move forward. John, am I going too fast this time? I, I, know, I know last time you said I spoke a little too fast. So, so I'm, I'm just trying to make sure. I told him in the early service, you just need to listen faster. <laughs> Recognize something. God is going to repopulate the earth through Noah and his family through the species that had been on the ark. Civilization itself needed to be rebuilt. And God was calling Noah to move into that new season. But before doing that, Noah engages in something of his own. With all that needed to be accomplished, the first thing Noah does is build an altar. Now, I just spent three days over the river and through the woods in a U-Haul truck, big U-Haul truck, pulling my car with my wife and my daughter driving behind me. And I didn't get much sleep because every time I tried, one of the cats would jump on my head or something like that. So if I don't see a U-Haul anytime soon, I'm good with that. Noah spent 120 years with his tools building that art. And the first thing he does is pick up a hammer and builds an altar. He builds an altar of worship. The ark was built by command. The altar is built by desire. And one of the red flags in our walk with Jesus that we have to attune ourselves to and really attend to in our lives is, is that zeal. Paul said it is good to always have zeal. 
right? Provided it's based on knowledge, because there's some people that go flying off in every direction and they don't know what they're doing. But, and, and Paul's not talking about that. But he's saying we should, I, I, I know sometimes as we get older, it's that idea, well, that's for when we were young in the Lord. It should not be true. When our flame starts to go, the Bible says that we are to stir it up. What happens if you, you have a fireplace and you begin to separate all the pieces of wood? They go out. You have to bring them back together. You have to stoke that flame. And that's something that Noah wants to make sure happens. Look, God gives us the plan for salvation. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says he gives us pastors and teachers and apostles and evangelists and prophets to build the church up, to get us ready for ministry and bring us to maturity. God gives us his spirit. He gives us his word. Thousands of people have died so that we could have the word of God and get into it. God has provided everything we need. But you know what he won't give us? Worship. That has to come from us. That has to be our response. If you read in the book of Psalms, you see a section of Psalms that say a psalm of ascent. I want you to think about a stadium if you've ever gone to a, a big baseball game or a football game. And as you're walking in, right, there's a big throng of people. And David talks about going up with the throng of people. Well, Jerusalem is set on a hill. And so the temple was, was high up and it was on a hill and you would see it from a distance. So you would leave your house and you'd begin to walk to the temple. And as you did, one of your neighbors would come out, hey, Joe, hey, what's going on? You'd, you'd keep walking and you'd turn a corner and there'd be a few more. And the closer you got, the bigger the crowd got. And somebody begins to sing, I could sing of your love forever. And suddenly somebody else joins in and before you know it, there's a throng of people worshiping before they've even gotten to worship. And that's what we have to generate. So many times we come into church and we're saying, Daniel, you know, you better play that song that, that I like, man. You, man. I need you. And we're waiting for somebody else to do what we need to be. Man, I want to tell you, lead your family. I tell them, I've got four daughters, man. I don't want them marrying a guy who goes to church. I want them marrying a guy who's got his arms up, snot running down his face. Jesus, I, that's who I want my, my daughters marrying, Right? My son used to have a statement. He and his wife were expecting their first child. When he was little, he said, when I'm a daddy and a pastor, he didn't know there was any other thing to be, right? Five years old, six years old. But he just put a Facebook post about, I'm so excited to be a dad, right? And, and, and I know that they're coming, that child is going to be born into a Christian home where mom and dad love the Lord. And not only do they love the Lord, not only do they go to church, but they know how to worship him. Man, I've seen my son just, just filled with tears and everything. He'd be five years old and he'd be down the altar praying, praying five years old for an hour. With the, with the adults. And when you can see that happening in, in a generation, guys, that's not going to happen until the older generation says, God, I'm going to make worshiping you a priority. The young people are not going to see that if they don't see it through us saying, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to go out, I'm going to build my own altar, and I'm going to go after you. Look, we can see what Jesus did for us on the cross. We see the picture of his, of his bloodied body. We just ce celebrated that, that, that bruising and piercing that he went through. We see, himself, we see Jesus showing himself to more than 500 people after his resurrection so we could have the assurance of our, of our salvation and the sufficiency of his power to deliver us from the judgment coming. But what, what God doesn't do is call us and force us and make us worship him. That has to come from within us. The mess Noah walked out of and the scope of the call before him. Man, I was a messed up pagan dude when I was young. Hair down to here. I, when I first started going to church, I had spray painted jeans and everything else. And when I was a worship leader... I had a woman come into our church, and she was one of those crazy Christians from down the street. She was always witnessing to us. So annoying. You know those kind of people. Um, and so she comes up to the altar after I you know, led worship, and she said, 
Dave, when you used to come into our house, I used to cringe. Thanks. I, I, I mean, what, what do you say to that? But the world will not understand. The church understands. People who really love the Lord understand. My mom was an educator most of her life. One lady heard her, you know, they met and she said, Marge, Greg, did you have a son named Dave? And she said, yeah, yeah. She said, I was his teacher, I think, in, in 10th grade. What's he doing now? Oh, he's a pastor. Oh, no, that's not him. <laughs> the world doesn't understand. But here's the thing. They don't understand that what God brought me out of yesterday and the calling that he has for me tomorrow is what generates my praise today. See, the Bible speaks of those who have forgotten what Christ has done for them. This, this is a direct assault of the enemy. The enemy wants you thinking you're insignificant. The enemy wants you thinking that there's nothing you're going to do of any greatness so that you erase all that God has for your future. He wants you forgetting all that Jesus has done because he knows that if he can do those things in your heart, there will be no worship. And so moving forward from the boat means to move in the activity that God has called you. If you are waiting for me to grow the bridge church, just don't hold your breath because you will die. Of, you'll suffocate. God did not call me to entertain folks so much and speak so well that they just flood through the doors. God called me as Ephesians 4 to equip the saints to go out and God wants to reach this city. The reason that I came here, the reason I saw all the growth that was happening. And I said, I'm excited about reaching a harvest. I know that growth is going to change the culture. I get that. But it's also going to change the kingdom. It's also going to mean a lot of souls are going to be in heaven. And when I take my first breath of that air and I see souls that have been saved through the work of this church, all I'm going to be able to do is shout and praise and just rejoice in all that God. Yes, Noah had to endure the stench. Yeah, he had to endure months adrift on the open sea. And when he did open the door, you know what he would have seen? Wreckage, destruction, corpses. But he knew if not for God's grace, that would be me and my family on the ground. God has done a work in me. And so I need to move forward in the work that he has called me. Let me get real with you here. If you're not moving in worship, if it seems to have dried up in your, in your life, it is almost certainly because you haven't either been saved and there's people that, I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody, but I know in a church this size or certainly people watching online, there are people that have been in church for many years, but they've never abandoned themselves to Jesus Christ. When the Brownsville revival began, many of the people that came and got saved were pastors and Christian leaders who never realized until the Spirit of God hit them that they had not given themselves, they had never been truly born again. And there's people that are singing the songs, but they don't understand, why am I not feeling anything? But it's quite possible we've forgotten what God has done or we're resisting what the Lord has, has, has called us to do. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.5, for, for, for this very reason, make every effort. So that speaks of us, right? That's not something God zaps into us. Make every effort. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. That seems like a long list, but he does, he's not telling you to take the whole list. He's saying if you got faith, then move on to the next step, which is goodness. In other words, get stuff, get junk out of your life that's getting in the way of your walk with God. And then begin to study and begin to learn more about him knowledge. And it's a step-by-step -step process. See, if you haven't been saved, if you haven't been born again, I don't expect you to worship. You can't. You can engage in what looks like worship. But it's not authentic worship because worship on this earth 
requires deliverance. So we just read in Genesis 8. You worship because we love. Why? Because God loved us. Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Has to come from God. Faith has to come from God. The power to serve has to come from God. And the deliverance has to come from God. Worship is our response to what he's done. Church, there's a lot of people that give perfunctory acknowledgement to what Jesus has done for them because they think if they acknowledge the means of salvation, that will be sufficient to save. They, they admire him. Like I said, there's a fan club. That's not a church. The only way to be saved, as it always has been, is to be inside the ark when the judgment of God arrives. Awareness doesn't do. Admiration won't suffice. Only being sealed inside will protect you from what's coming upon the earth. Now, understand something. God is not going to judge the earth because he's mean. He's not judging the earth because he's mean. If I gave my kid a, a, a brand new iPhone and I said, don't be an idiot, don't, don't drop it, don't, don't be reckless with it. And they did. And they broke it. And I said, I'm going to replace that. And I took the broken one and I replaced it with a new one. That's an act of kindness. And that's what God is doing. He said there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Now, before you get mad at him, recognize you broke the old one. You know, if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, it's directed by Mel Gibson. He's in one scene. You know he's in one scene, but he is. He's in the scene. It's his arm nailing the nail into the wrist of Christ. He gets it. We broke it. We broke it. And God in his generosity is creating a new heaven. Everything we see around, me, this bottle, this stand, this carpet, the seat you're on, the shirt you're wearing, the sun in the sky, the earth around, everything is deteriorating. It's decaying. The scientists call it entropy. Everything is in the, the Bible calls it death. Death isn't just our taking our last breath. It's the state of decay and separation from God. That's why God said, in the day you eat this, Adam, you will die. The, the, the essential nature of this earth is that it is a decaying and dying world. And God says there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Let me, let me read one passage for you before we get ready to close. In Revelation 21, John, who laid at the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne says, I make all things new. And then he said, write this down. Let me tell you what, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Come to church with pencils and write stuff down. Write this down. Now, I would, if I was in heaven, I think, man, I pretty much remember that experience. Right? I don't know that I need to take notes. But, but God says, or the angel says, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And listen to what Jesus says just a moment later. It is done. Just like he said on the cross, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my child. God is right now creating a new heaven and a new earth. There is no more death. 
Everything proceeds, proceeds to greater and greater states of perfection, not decay. And he is inviting us into it. Most of us in this room have said yes to that invitation. God has just put us through a storm. He's put us through a season. And now he's saying, go forth and make this truth known to those who need it. There is a world around us. And yeah, they look crazy to us. They look just as crazy to us as we look to them. But they don't know what we know. And we can either get mad at them. We can hate on them. Or we can love them. And tell, let me tell you what, you, you believe some crazy stuff too when you got saved. And it wasn't the church beating you up for your crazy views or your crazy politics or anything else. That, that Man, like I said, I would come in with spray painted jeans and long into an old school Pentecostal church. And you know what that pastor did? He loved me. He loved me. And then when I got saved and the spirit of God began to move in, yeah, he changed my views. He changed my views on a whole lot of issues, whether it was sexual issues, whether it's abortion, whether it's politics. God changed my thinking in a whole lot of ways. But none of that thinking was changed because somebody came up to me and said, you just need to change because you're a bad guy. You're a jerk. And that's sometimes how we've made the world feel. When your mission field becomes your enemy, you're doing it wrong. Jesus did never affirm sin. He said, go and sin no more. But he always first brought love. And God is calling us from this storm to reach the world, to reach the city with the love and the salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The boat symbolized that moment of transition. We have now gone through a season of transition. We're on the other side. It is up to us to say, okay, God, what do you have for me now? God has something for you in this new season. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God has something for you in this new season. Will you stand with me right now? Here's what I want to ask. I know we've already had some folk come to the altar. Sometimes you're so hurt and you feel so beat up, it's hard for you to see what God has for you. I want to pray for you. Sometimes you've been wounded and you've been, you feel like, you know what? The church has just disappointed me. I want to pray for you. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want to pray. I'm not, I don't care what your reason is. But if you don't feel 100% ready to move forth in the next season, the next level, the Bible says he takes us from one level of glory to another. And right now, if you can't say to God, God, I'm ready for the next level, I want you to humble yourself. I want you to get on your knees before the Lord. And I want you to say, God, whatever you need to do in me, I am here. Going to lead us. If you'll even bring up those, those lyrics, I'd appreciate it. Because if you don't need to come to the altar, just stretch forth your hands and close your eyes and say, God, use me to create an atmosphere of yieldedness in this place. Lord, we love you. We love you. We worship you, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Bring us to the place of